all know the damage that fires are capable of. What we don't always understand is the cause, behavior, and what to do in the aftermath of a fire. Today, you'll understand these aspects just a little bit more. Welcome to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram. We will give you tips on fire prevention, how to deal with insurance matters, and more. Now, here are your hosts, Donna and Mike. Welcome to Speaking of Fire. This is Donna Ingram, your host. I have about 30 years experience in fraud investigations and am a past director of the International Association of Arson Investigators. Mike Schlattman's not going to be with us today. Everything's fine. I'm fortunate enough to have uh, Chip Barnhart here with me co-hosting, and we're talking about commercial fires today, and a little bit about Chip. He's with Barnhart Consulting Services in South Dakota. Uh, He specializes in commercial kitchen fire losses, and his role is to evaluate the performance of commercial kitchen fire suppression systems, ventilation, and related components. And Chip, thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you, Donna, and uh, just wanted to say if Mike's out listening, thanks for the opportunity to uh, co-host the show. Um, We also have a guest with us today, uh, Bill Allman, who also does pretty much the same thing I do. We evaluate uh, fire suppression system losses that occur in commercial kitchens, the ventilation, and all the related devices. So uh, welcome to us, Bill. And Bill is a proprietor of uh, FireTech, and uh, he is based in uh, Tennessee. So, Bill, hello. Hello. Thank you for having me. appreciate you all giving me the opportunity to be on the show. Great. Absolutely. And we appreciate you joining us. Now, so, yeah, I understand you're out in, in Pigeon Forge right now. Yeah, I'm out here at the uh, annual uh, Tennessee Chapter AAAI uh, training seminar, and I've uh, been out here since, since the first of the week with all the guys and investigators from all over Tennessee. I think there's some from as far away as Texas that are here. So it's interesting getting out here and uh, meeting with everybody and getting to see some old friends and meet some new ones. That's, well, that's great. great, Bill. Can you please, uh, just to, before we get on to this topic, can you please explain uh, why you're going to a seminar like this, a training seminar? Yeah, it. Uh, what you do here is you just come in, and, of course, we have to have CEs for our uh, certifications that we maintain, and so this is one of the ways that we get our CDs. And uh, aside from the networking that we get from meeting all the other professionals that are in the same industry and building our knowledge from what, fire scenes that they've looked at and getting the war stories, if you will, from them. We uh, we also attend a schedule of classes that they have set up, and uh, generally they're four-hour blocks. Sometimes they last all day. Sometimes they're eight-hour blocks that we sit in. And um, at the end, of the end of the week, we have a comprehensive test that covers all of those ideas. And, you know, this week there's been some, some really good classes that I've sat in so far. So as far as from negative corpus all the way up to explosions. So we're getting a good wide variety of education from this week. And they do it every every year, and every year there's different classes and different presenters that come in from all over the country. And so you're getting a real good feel for what everybody's doing throughout the whole country and even sometimes even from around the world. Oh, that's now, great, Bill. Bill. Are you... 
<clears throat> I know that you own FireTech or co-own FireTech. Are you still in fire service? You have a history in fire service. Are you still in fire service? I do, yes. I've been with the uh, fire department here in Tennessee in Franklin for uh, 20 years and um, got a few more years left before I'm able to eligible for retirement there. But, yeah, I've been with the fire department there, and I've been doing uh, fire investigations with them. I also do... Um, minor code violation inspections and also um, am an officer on a ladder truck with that uh, fire department. Well, that's great, Bill. Now, today we're going to, we'll get back on the topic a little bit. Today, let's talk a little bit about commercial kitchen fires. And what we want to do here today is we're going to go into a little more in depth. There was some interest on the last uh, show we did on this and today we're going to get down into a little more details and let's say this would be applicable to you if you were an employee at a restaurant a restaurant owner a uh, for a fellow investigator origin and cause investigator even up to we'll talk a little bit about stuff that would be applicable to uh, the uh, fellows that also evaluate the fire suppression and the ventilation system so first off bill you and I can just kind of talk a little bit back and forth. How does a fire generally uh, occur in a commercial kitchen? What's the sequence of events? Generally, these fires, they, they start from having to have an ignition source, and those come from most likely from the cooking surface or from an appliance or something in the preparation of a meal or a, a faulty thermal cut off on a fryer, if you will, or something like that. It's generally something from the cook surface that starts the fire. It may uh, heat the cooking media or the product that they're cooking or the utensils that they're using or whatever to ignition temperature, and then those extend upward into the ventilation system. Is usually, and then most likely what has happened is it extends up. Very rarely do we ever have any kind of fire that starts in the plenum area or the duct area because if it's properly installed with no electrical components or in the duct or the plenum, there's no ignition source in that area for it to burn. Although, you know, when they don't clean them or they're not properly maintained, there is a fuel package. So it's very easy for a fire to start on the cook surface and extend into that additional fuel package up in the actual hood canopy. Yeah, and basically, you know, what we've got here is in a commercial cooking operation, you can imagine everybody when you're out there, you know, in your own kitchen at your residence, you know, you create vapors when you're doing certain types of cooking, and those vapors could be steam, they could be smoke, but they can also be grease-laden vapors, uh, depending on what and how you're cooking. And what they do is, and everybody's cleaned their kitchen in your house, they deposit themselves all, all over the place. And with the commercial kitchen, basically, they've got a pretty heavy-duty ventilation system that is designed to grab these vapors and exhaust them out the building. And the, uh, basically, it's called a hood or a kitchen hood. And the hood collects it. There's a row of filters that basically take the grease out of the air or a lot of the grease out of the air. They try to do that, and they catch it into a containment uh, rail 
which has a little drip cup, which then eliminates a lot of the, uh, the, the uh, vapors, but not all of the grease-laden vapors, and some escape behind the filters because obviously there's got to be airflow through there. They deposit themselves in the hood and the uh, exhaust duct. And the exhaust duct, as everyone's seen driving by a restaurant, is just that fan on the top where sometimes you'll even see smoke or you'll see vapors uh, being exhausted out. And what happens is, as Bill said, there's a fuel package in there. It, it basically gets deposited with this, uh, these substances. And, and it could be even a little bit different than grease. It could be if you're doing solid-fueled cooking, it basically could be creosote-type uh, material mixed with grease. It could be all sorts of uh, different configurations uh, depending on uh, what type of methodology and what you've got going on on the cooking line. So this stuff, uh, basically, it can catch on fire uh, for a pretty significant fuel load, isn't it, Bill? It could be if it's if it's not properly cleaned and maintained, and they're not staying on top of keeping those grease deposits off of there, uh, off of the cook surface or the hood um, surfaces, and keeping the filters clean so that the grease and the latent vapors can pass through and out the exhaust. It, um, yeah, it could it could create. I've seen up to. Man, I guess a couple of inches of grease accumulate on the suppression system piping and, you know, the backside of filters and things like that. It, it can have a pretty significant amount of fuel package to burn in. So I have a question about that. Who's the authority of making sure that's maintained? It, ultimately, it lies with the restaurant owner or the manager or whoever is overseeing the maintenance of the restaurant it would ultimately fall back to the owner's responsibility now there are companies that they can contract with and they can come in and on periodic schedules according to nfda 96 which is the standard that covers the kitchen hood cleaning and they can come in and they can clean these hoods to acceptable levels which is uh, down to the bare metal and as long as they pretty well keep up with the maintenance right there. They they limit that fuel package. So they have companies out there that can handle that, but ultimately it falls back to the owner maintaining it and ensuring that that service is completed. Yeah, well said, Bill. Basically, you know, we talked last time is that these fires, and, and, and we travel, and Mike, too, we travel all over the United States because we kind of specialize in doing these commercial cooking fires. And uh, they come down to three three things a lot of times. There's cleanliness, there's equipment maintenance, and the maintenance could regard could be regarding the fire suppression system, the ventilation or the ductwork system, or the appliances themselves. And then you have employee actions and training, what they do when there is an abnormal cooking event, which uh, causes the sequence to uh, get get going here which causes a fire so those things are basically three things that we kind of look at we see kind of over and over again now we've talked on the cleanliness here and basically you know there is there's companies that are hired to come in and clean these these hoods clean these ductworks and occasionally clean the filters oftentimes the restaurant owners clean them uh, themselves to the filters now uh, often you know seems like a recurring thing to those people out there listening that own a restaurant or um, uh, work in a restaurant if you clean the filters yourself what do you need to make sure you do bill 
Well, a lot of places what they do is they run them through the uh, dishwasher, and they'll do that uh, at the end of a shift, or they'll do it once a week. Or it kind of depends on the, the amount of grease that's on there. In my opinion, yeah. you, need a, you need a real mild detergent or something that will lift grease off, something like a uh, Simple Green or a Dawn dish detergent. And then you need a pressure washer, and uh, the proper the way to ensure that you get all of that grease out of there is to take them out back to the restaurant, coat them down with this degreaser or with uh, a Dawn detergent, let them sit for a minute, and then pressure wash them, and that will ensure that you're getting them a, a whole lot more of the grease off of there. Now, running them through the dishwasher, you know, that's acceptable. I, I think that's that's a good practice to have if you're going to do it every day. Well, if you have light cooking habits, such as like a church or something like that, I think that would be sufficient. But as long as you get that grease off of those filters before it becomes, I'll call it caked on there or or encrusted on it to where it's not able to be gotten off without replacing the filter. So I I think that um, definitely a pressure washer is the best way to do it. But uh, yeah. any means that you can use to get that grease off of there periodically is better than yeah, Bill. That's great advice. That's great advice. And the restaurant owners out there, uh, one thing that I might suggest is buy two sets of filters. These are not the most expensive things in your restaurant. Buy a set. You could be cleaning a set and have a set to put in. You have an extra set of these filters, and the and that way you don't get in a situation which we see. Uh, honestly, quite often where the filters are not reinstalled and then cooking operations commence the next day. Uh, the cleaning cycle is not completed or maybe it's half done and people don't put the filters back in. And, uh, Bill, what happens then if there's a uh, abnormal cooking event or flare-up on the uh, cook line without the filters there? Well, what happens is those filters are in that filter bank to, to help that... Um that hood balance the airflow that comes through into the plenum area. And naturally, air is going to follow the area of least resistance. So if you removed a filter and you have a space there, or even if you go into a restaurant and you see that there is actually a filter that's missing or something other from, from the filter bank, you've got a gap, and that's creating a, uh, a draft, if you will, and an area of less resistance. So it's able to not balance the air that goes through into the plenum area. And when it gets into the plenum area, you're going to have more accumulation of grease deposits there because the the grease will go through that area of least resistance and then it'll cool. So you'll have more buildup there. And on those filters right there at the space, you'll also have more buildup because there's more air passing across the surface of those filters than it is from going through the filters and actually capturing those grease-laden or grease-laden vapors and allowing that grease to drain out into the drip cup that you, you talked about earlier. Yeah, that's great, Bill. And uh, basically, you know, getting back to, uh, you know, this stuff needs to be maintained. It needs to be put back in working order for it to to work properly. And we're, we're spending a little bit of time on the ventilation system before we get down into the uh, fire suppression system. Now, another thing with the ventilation system, you you mentioned a word there. It's not balanced properly. Uh, We see a lot of losses uh, all over the country where there's an issue of uh, hoods that aren't balancing properly. And what that is meant in normal terminology is 
for air to uh, get exhausted out, you need to bring air in. There's generally a couple ways you can do this. You can pull it out of the restaurant itself or the HVAC system out of the restaurant, or you can bring in makeup air into the hood. It's called makeup air, and it's basically exhausted right back out. And you want this thing to balance because if it isn't balanced, there's a couple uh, unpleasant things that happen. What's, what's one of those unpleasant things, Bill? Well, you have an unnatural draw of air that comes out of your restaurant, for one, and two, it won't exhaust the actual cooking vapors out of the restaurant so you could have you could have a buildup of smoke layer or, or or grease deposits on other areas of the kitchen as well because the the hood itself is not actually doing its job and able to balance and pull that air out of the restaurant like it needs to. The makeup air and the proper amount of fresh air that's coming in um, it's going to help keep your bill's lower for the for the actual HVA system. It's also going to make it where there are different rooms and different compartments inside the building are not having different pressures. So you can have an actual negative pressure inside your building where it's actually pulling a draft on, on the building when the fan is on and uh, make it hard to open doors. So if you go up to a restaurant and you open a door and you feel a gush of air, they probably don't have a very balanced hood system is possibly what the problem is. Yeah, and that's important for our AHJs and fire marshals that are listening to this. That's uh, one of the signs that you can tell that you have issues going on with the ventilation system. It's, uh, you know, and I understand restaurant owners, it's a way they can tell. But basically you start smelling cooking vapor or you feel negative pressure, i.e. opening the doors are difficult in a restaurant, you have a problem with your ventilation system. Now, Bill, let's get back to this stuff getting uh, catching on fire. We've kind of talked about the ventilation system a little bit. Um, fans, basically the exhaust fan at the top. Do we, do we, nor, you know, occasionally we see reports and stuff and people will call it a duct fire. Uh, how prevalent or, or how often have you ever seen one of those fans up on the top actually be the uh, source of ignition? on uh, one of these restaurant fires. Is that something that's common, or is it uh, not common? It's not common. I'm, I'm not um, trying to think back here. I can't think of anything to where I've had a fire that's started at the roof and come down through the duct. Normally what has happened is, is you have a, a piece of media, some sort of cooking media or something that's become unlodged or started at the cook surface, passed up through the filters and into the duct system, and it travels through the duct as a burning ember or smoldering ember or something other, and it stops at a turn or gets caught on some buildup or a snag in the in the duct, like a, a bad weld or something other like that, and it sits there, and then as the air passes over it, it continues to combust, and then it ignites the adjacent grease to it, and then the grease fire that starts inside that duct it's just fueled by that air that's being pulled through the duct and then the fan is a um, exposure to the fire that happens when the fire travels on up through the duct that that that's right and you know to basically get a fire what are what are the things that we got to have 
basically. And let, let's let's just put them together. Is is you know you get we kind of got our ignition source. It came off an appliance or an irregular irregular event happening on the uh, cook line. But let let's talk. So we got our fuel. We've kind of beaten that one to death, and it's been deposited up in the duct. What else do we got to have, Bill? You got to have the oxygen, um, right? And we're getting plenty getting of oxygen drawn through this, aren't we? <laughs> That's right. Getting plenty of draw. Yeah, getting plenty of draw through that duct. And then you got to have a. Let's see. You got to have. We got to have a fuel, oxygen. You got to have a heat source. And so your heat right. source is going to come from your from your cook surface, which is going to pass up. And then you have the chemical chain reaction, which is all three of those coming together. And then we have the fire. Exactly. And let's talk about the heat source a little bit too. There's a certain temperature that you know we talked about some source of an ignition up into this into this ductwork, but basically uh, cooking obviously creates heat to begin with. So we're already at a higher than ambient or normal outside temperature, aren't we, Bill? Yes, so we're kind of already yeah. into the safety zone a little bit of uh, what our before we get to where we have uh, an issue of this uh, grease-laden vapors catching on fire. So we, we've already elevated the temperature just due to normal cooking, and uh, that's that's something that you kind of got to realize is we're, we're already kind of at a, 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 a pretty significant risk, and, and these things are well-engineered and well-designed when they're cleaned, put into place with proper uh, building methods and stuff. They uh, They do pretty well at their job, don't they, Bill? Day in and day out. They do. Yes, yeah. they do. They do. And, you know, the temperatures. Yeah. Very severe environment, isn't it? Basically. Yes. Yeah, very hot, very hazardous. It can, can be kind of volatile, too, if, it, uh, if it's not cleaned and properly maintained. You know, you could have a big package of fuel there that uh, even on the cook surface of the appliance, if they don't properly clean it, you know, you could have a fire that starts right there from the grease that's, you know, a couple of weeks old or something other on a on a cooktop burner. Yeah, and that and that's great. We're going to go back to that here in a second for for us uh, for people who want to get down into the uh, engineering side of this. But let's talk about let's talk about the fire suppression system. Is there supposed to be a fire suppression system involved in this hood and ductwork? Is there supposed to be one installed? Yes, there is supposed to be one. All right. Let's let's just talk it over together. What kind of general description are these fire suppression systems? What do they do, and and what don't they do? Uh, we can start off. You know, just let's give a quick description of them. Go ahead. You can you can handle that, and then I'll talk about what they do and what they don't do. <laughs> right. Well, the fire system it's going to have a, a, a wet chemical, which is required, and they're required to be installed and maintained in accordance with uh, NFPA standards. And it also uh, is going to have different components. It's going to have fusible link detectors, which are um, detectors that are at, will automatically set the system off at a predetermined or preset temperature, usually somewhere in between the range of 280 degrees Fahrenheit and 500 degrees Fahrenheit. And then you're going to have discharge nozzles, which there are a bunch of different types of discharge nozzles for each hazard going to be protected. In other words, each appliance is going to have a specific nozzle that's going to be utilized to discharge that chemical onto that cook surface. And you also got uh, nozzles in the plenum area, and um, you've also got nozzles in the ducts, in the exhaust ducts. All of this is connected through 
of piping, usually, most commonly, is 3-8-inch pipe that's connected to agent storage cylinders. And from there, you have the mechanical controls of the fire system, and when a fire happens, you can pull the pull station, a manual pull station, and or automatic link will release, and it will automatically discharge the chemical through the piping, through the nozzles, and to the cook surface. That's generally okay, so how they work, and that's generally what, yeah. what's included, included with them. Yeah, and basically, so basically, if I'm home, let's say it's 2.30 in the morning, I'm home, I own a restaurant, or I work there, and I'm sleeping in my bed, and the restaurant has something that happens that causes one of those fusible links to work, will the system automatically go off even if I'm not there? Yes. Yes, it will. Yeah, okay. I see that yep. quite frequently. Yep. Yeah, you see that quite frequently. And Bill, add a little bit, besides doing investigations, what else does your company do? We install and maintain these fire suppression systems in, in the hoods. Uh, we also sell the fire extinguishers and that go along with them, the K-class fire extinguishers. So, um, you know, along with the maintenance and the installation contracts, comes the uh, the refilling of them when they have the fires we come out and we actually recharge the fire system for them for the the two thirty in the morning call we'll we'll go out and refill the system for them. yeah and you just touched on something that I really was hoping you were gonna so um, in the fire investigation world we see a lot of when this stuff didn't work or you know there was something that got out of control or basically you know it. it we had a loss, okay? Now, let's let's talk a little bit about what you just said. You were at a service company, and, and my background, I used to do the uh, training and technical support for a manufacturer uh, before I went out and started doing the investigations full-time. Um, how often, you know, would you say these systems are pretty reliable, pretty robust? Uh, you're not, uh, let's just say you're not driving around all day, every day, recharging these systems when they've gone off because of an abnormal cooking event where the fire was successfully suppressed and basically everybody just needs to just clean up the uh, the agent that came out, throw the food away that was in the vicinity, and uh, get themselves recharged and back in service. Um, how often do you uh, recharge these systems? It's It's quite... Quite a not not an everyday event, but it's but it's not an irregular event, is it? No, I don't do it that often. I would say maybe one every one or two every six months, maybe. Right. If that, uh, I would say that's a busy busy period for me. Uh, as long yep. as they're maintained and they're serviced every six months, like they like it's mandated, and um, the fusible link line is operated like it's supposed to. It's free of. Uh, grease accumulation and the fusible links are replaced uh, according to the manufacturer's recommendations, uh, generally you, you really don't have any issues with them. And they will extinguish the fire when they're supposed to and um, you know, they, we don't have any accidental discharges of them. Yeah. So basically the system works you know, very well and there's a certain testing standard that the system went through. It's underwriters laboratory UL three hundred, which is a calls out for certain tests that this uh, these systems must pass to successfully be branded a UL three hundred system. It's a performance standard. It says, Hey, this is how we test a range, this is how we test a duct 
and they basically give a configuration that they set up. They have a fire. They they set a fire in it. They let it get to a certain temperature. They let a certain dwell period go by, meaning they let the fire burn for a while, and then they turn the system. The system gets activated and it suppresses the fire, and it needs to do this, and has all these things that it needs to do to pass. So the systems work pretty well. Yet, however we still are at a lot of these fires where, um, you know, the, the restaurants become a loss. And uh, a lot of times it seems uh, in, our, in our, <laughs> our, our experience that there's a, a, a rush to judgment that the fire suppression system should have done this or shouldn't have done this. Is it necessarily a proof that you had an issue with the fire suppression system that uh, there was a failure and it did it did cause damage to a restaurant. Is that necessarily that it's always the fire suppression system's uh, fault? Is that something that would be uh, adequate? We see that a lot, don't we, Bill? We 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 have kind of unrealistic yeah. re- expectations of what this thing will do. I'm going to stop <laughs> you right there, guys. I'm going to stop you, and so we can take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, uh, answer that question and go a little more in depth about uh, NFPA and and what you're seeing out there when you get to those sites. Join us. We'll be back in just a second. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Fire Consulting International provides consulting and expert fire origin and cause investigations. Our experienced, certified fire investigators have specialized skills to meet litigation requirements. We also provide peer review of reports for other investigative firms to assure they meet NFPA guidelines and ASTM standards. Educational classes and CEU classes are also provided. For professional investigations, contact Fire Consulting International at FCIFire.com or call 913-262-5200. FireAnalysis.net offers cutting-edge, comprehensive programs unique to the insurance industry. Our vendor vetting assures regulatory compliance with the Sarbanes-Oxley Act, NFPA guidelines, and ASTM standards. We ensure that investigators' reports are in compliance with those standards. We also offer comprehensive programs to assure compliance with your company guidelines. Please contact FireAnalysis.net. That's FireAnalysis.net. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Listening to Speaking of Fire with Mike Schlappman and Donna Ingram. To call in to today's show, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to connect at speakingoffire.com. Now, back to this week's program. Welcome back to Speaking of Fire. Thanks for joining us. Before the break, uh, we were talking about the 
the design and, and engineering and what types of fire extinguishing systems, hood systems there are. And Chip, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and defer to you. All right, yeah, and our question was, and Bill and I are going to talk a little bit about this, is, you know, in the, in the investigative world, we see when these systems, and we're not saying necessarily don't work, but it is in a whole, the, the, the system didn't work, the fire suppression system or the ventilation system, or something failed, and we have, we have damage inside of a restaurant. Now, uh, Bill and I were, t- were just kind of queuing it up a little bit that oftentimes you see this, this absolute belief that the fire suppression system should have done you know, X, Y, Z of these uh, expectations we see out there in the uh, loss side. So, Bill, let's talk about some things that the fire suppression system won't do. All right. Some of the things that it won't do is um, it will not extinguish after it's already discharged. In other words, if it's already discharged one time for one fire, it's not going to go off again if there's a secondary fire or a fire rekindles, if you will. Um, and such as if you have a, a very dirty cook surface and you have a lot of grease there, they're only engineered and they're only designed to extinguish a certain amount of grease and that's the only way that they're tested and ensuring that they're going to extinguish that up to a certain amount of grease. So if there's an excessive amount of grease or a lot of uh, cook media that's on the on the cook surface and the chemical discharges, it may extinguish a fire or knock it down, if you will, but then the fire could grow back it could come back and after it comes back if if the fire system's already discharged it's not going to go off again there's nothing left so sometimes you can have a secondary fire or a rekindle and that could uh, cause your damage in your restaurant um some other things that it's not going to do it's not going to be able to go around obstructions if there's an obstruction such as a a shelf that's on top of a uh, cooking surface, a stove, or a flat-top griddle, that chemical is not going to be able to get up underneath there. So if you have a fire that's there or under or starts underneath an actual shelf, you're not going to be able to get the chemical underneath there. So there are design parameters that we can reconfigure the fire system to get the chemical down on the cook surface. But um, if they're mounted above those obstructions or if those obstructions are added after the fact or after the inspection, then they're not going to it's not going to be able to extinguish that fire. Yeah, and Bill, you just you just touched on something, and the fire marshals and AHJs that are listening to us, Bill, let's let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> you and I have gone out and dealt with this issue before. Um, it's it's pretty problematic in, in some restaurants. They add things later that cause an obstruction, and it causes a uh, a repiping job needed or reconfiguration of the fire suppression system. And uh, is that often greeted with open arms? Uh, the uh, additional expense to, to make the fire suppression system get around this obstruction that was added later on is that a is that often something that ends up being a uh, a difficult thing to sell to the restaurant owner? <laughs> yes, it is, and it's it's very hard. Um, matter of fact, I just had an incident just a couple of weeks ago with a church where we had installed the fire system and the piping came down along the um, the. They call it a back shelf, the shelf that comes off the back of the cooking appliance and extends over the cooking surface. Well, that's an obstruction, so you have to get the nozzle down below that or get them to a point to where the chemical will discharge onto the cooking surface unimpeded. 
and uh, we had put the piping down along the the shelf, the back shelf, like uh, the manual called for. But the restaurant owner did not like that, and they wanted it uh, wanted it removed. But uh, what we wound up having to do is just explain it to them and show them different photographs and what have you of different installations that we've had, and they wound up choosing to remove the shelf. So if you take the shelf off of the stove, then you don't have an obstruction anymore. So that's uh, that's something that somebody needs to watch for. But nothing saying that they want or they can't come back and put that shelf back on there after I've already left the site. So after I've done my inspection, done my my due diligence and taken my photographs, they could very well just go back in and put that shelf back in there because they need the storage area. And somebody that's uneducated or doesn't know, they don't understand why the shelf was removed. Yeah, and that and that's very important what you just said. So uh, people on the uh, that are on the uh, enforcement side of this uh, thing, the uh, fire marshals and AHJs, understand that sometimes these things get changed uh, after the fire suppression company is there. And then, uh, unfortunately, if there's a loss, uh, a lot of times there's uh, not a record of this uh, change happening. And uh, it looks as if the fire suppression system was just not configured properly. Um, just always dig a little deeper, uh, people, into that. There's there's oftentimes a lot of explanations out there what happens, and uh, just just keep that in mind. But we talked about things that it won't put out. You're right. It can't if it can't get to it, it can't put it out. It's a one shot system. If there's excessive grease loading or is grease loading outside of what do we call it, the zone of protection, will the system work uh, to its uh, specifications, Bill? No, it won't. We we cannot say that it will. Yeah. Um, if it, it dies might. out of that zone it of might. protection, it's just but, too much yeah. for it. There's too much fuel for it to extinguish. Exactly. It may work, but it's beyond what it was tested for. Uh, we don't know. We just don't know. We can't say yes or no. Uh, there's a certain amount of fuel loading in there. That goes back to the cleanliness and the cleaning cycle in the ventilation system, but it also goes back to cleanliness in and around the appliances. If a fire happened, you talked a lot earlier about maybe a thermocouple going bad on a fryer and uh, or maybe a, uh, a gas leak on a fryer or some sort of an event that started burning below the fryer, below the vat or the hazard area or cooking surface that this is meant to suppress. Will the fire suppression system be effective, Bill? No, no. These fire suppression systems are only designed to extinguish cooking surface fires and fires in the plenum and duct areas. They're not uh, They're not going to spray any chemical underneath the appliance or behind an appliance or onto the wall behind it. That's not what they're designed to do. Right, right, exactly. And the other... Another one that we need to kind of just touch upon is, what if the fire originated in the area of the kitchen, but it didn't originate in the cooking line itself? Mm-hmm. Maybe there was some other event that happened there. Uh, will the, Maybe there was some heating which got transferred behind the wall to a combustible surface. Will this suppression system do anything for us then? No, other than if the heating or something other came from an electrical outlet that was installed in the mount in the wall behind or underneath the cooking uh, hood, um, when the fire system goes off, it would cut off the power or the the amperage supply to that electrical outlet, which could possibly eliminate 
the ignition source or cut the power out or cut the power out, which reduces the chance of the fire spreading or growing. Other than that, no, it's not going to spray any chemical into the wall or onto the wall behind it to suppress anything or extinguish any fire. Right, yeah, and we just kind of want to get a real basic baseline of what the system will and won't do. Uh, You know, it's meant to, like Bill said, and we've stated several times, suppress the fire on your cooking line within that hazard area or cooking surface uh, as designed. It's meant to suppress fire in your plenum, which is that space behind the filters in your hood, and it's meant to suppress a fire in a duct up to a certain point. This was only tested to a certain loading of fuel. So those are things to keep in mind if you ever have to do an evaluation of this system. And again, it it really comes back to uh, cleanliness needs to be uh, really emphasized and equipment maintenance too. For this system to be working, uh, you know, it needs to be serviced at regular intervals. Um, You know, Whose responsibility is it to uh, make sure that it gets serviced? And then whose responsibility is it to make sure it's serviced properly, Bill? It's the owner's responsibility. It, and the way that I look at that it, and through my service company is we have contracts with you that um, allow us to come in and do the service work. However, if you won't allow us to do the service, then we're not able to do it. So... Ultimately, it falls back to the owner's responsibility to ensure that it gets gets serviced. And um, as far as it being serviced properly, it's up to the service company that you've got contractor that you hired to come in and do the service work. It's up to them. In the yeah. yeah. What's a service world, company the service to do? Company maybe. Should, yeah, maybe there's a service company or two listening to us today. What's a service company to do? If the uh, owner of a restaurant or a facility manager of a commercial kitchen refuses service, say, yeah, I don't want it fixed, what yeah. should they do? I get, the, I, get those, I get those quite frequently. And, um, you know, of course, if you've done the service work or they've allowed you to come into the, service, into the uh, kitchen and do the actual service work and then there's issues with it and they don't want it fixed or you find issues that you're not able to fix that at that time, you uh, place what they call a red tag or a non-compliance tag on the ma- on the manifold or on the fire system, and it explains in general terms of what um, what is wrong or what you found with the fire system. You also note that on your inspection report that is signed by the owner or the manager of the restaurant, and one copy of that will go to the authority having jurisdiction or your fire marshals, and you retain one copy for yourself and you give the restaurant owner a copy. Now, after the fact, what should happen after that is you need to follow it up with a with a proposal to repair it and also follow up with the authority having jurisdiction, the fire marshal, and make sure that they're aware that you're working on it to get it repaired or get it remedied. And uh, in some cases, they the fire marshal may want to go by and pay them a visit just to make sure that they're actually going to do their diligence and get it, get it fixed yeah. uh, and see what the progress on it. So, yeah, um, but talk, in some cases, talk. we're not even allowed. Good, Chip. Yeah, Gunny, you were just you were just going right into what I was talking about. A lot of times, you're not allowed. You're not allowed, are you? They're, the the owner just basically. Uh, you've had situations where they won't even sign anything. They they basically tell you to leave their property, don't they? Yes, yes, and a lot of times that comes back to it's not the fact that you want to do the service work. 
It's the fact that you want to charge them for it and that they're going to get uh, billed for it. And they feel that they shouldn't have to pay for it. And so they don't even allow you inside the restaurant for whatever the reason may be. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you a question about that. When we have that situation, say with a gas company, they red tag it. What about in that situation? Is there something that you have authority to do? To uh, to let someone know that that this system should not be operating. Yes, I have to notify the authority having jurisdiction, and uh, which is the fire marshal, and they'll come out. Normally, my experiences have been as soon as I uh, notify them, either I do mine in writing. I send mine in writing to the fire marshal, and um, as soon as they get it, they'll come and doing it do an inspection on the restaurant, and then issue a notice of violation to them. Yeah, that's, that's great, Bill. And basically, you know, we just wanted to, I wanted to touch on that a little bit. That, uh, and you, and you, you're a great guy to talk to about this because you actually own a service company and you do do these investigations also. <laughs> right. People, people right. need to realize that it's not so cut and dry in some of these NFPAs that you can get them to sign this, you can hang a non-compliance tag, Frankly, there are situations where you will be told to leave the property by the property owner, and your only recourse is to turn them into the fire marshal's office at that point because they do not want the they do not want to pay for the uh, service work. It's not necessarily they don't want the service work done; they don't want to pay for it. And uh, it's a very right. sticky situation, and sometimes uh, uh, people get quite agitated when you come in and tell them that that a, a device that they use every day is uh, antiquated or non-operational anymore, just not safe, and it will cost a significant amount of money to uh, fix, wouldn't it? Isn't it, Bill? Touchy situation for you guys out there servicing stuff sometimes. Yeah, Yeah, and it's real touchy. And and what I find, too, Chip, is when they come in to do my service, and the first thing that we do is we just do an overall look at the cook line to see if anything's changed from the previous inspection. And... um, a lot of times we find where they've added an appliance or changed an appliance out, which means that we need to repipe the fire system. And that's where the discussion starts, and that's when a lot of times, you know, we get into talking about how much it's going to cost, and we're asked to leave because they've already spent, you know, five, six, seven, ten thousand dollars $10,000 on an appliance, and now they're going to have to spend another few hundred dollars that, you know, they may not even have it, or they just they don't want to spend it, or they don't believe what we're telling them. Yeah, and basically, guys that are out there that are investigators, this is important stuff to evaluate. Uh, You need to understand, you need to have some idea of the standard of care, and, you you know, all these things are written in various NFPAs, and there are other other parts of standard of care, but you need to have some idea, And, and I'm really glad the situation went this way, because... Bill, on the investigative side, we're always talking about standard of care, what did or didn't get done with a service company or a hood cleaner or whatnot. And and I'm really glad to have you on the show today because you've given us some examples of what these guys are up against, what they deal with, what what the reaction is a lot of times. And this is really, you know, it's it's important to, to note this when you're trying to figure out what went wrong on one of these losses. And why wasn't some of this stuff possibly done? Uh, not saying that there's always an explanation that is uh, favorable to a service company, but uh, a lot of times there is. Uh, there's much more to the story, isn't there? 
Yeah. Yes, there he is. <laughs> That's a nice way to put it. <laughs> yeah. So it's important to run all these things down if you're ever doing an evaluation. Now, you know, we've, uh, we're, we're getting towards the end of the show here, and basically we've, we've talked a lot about this. We've talked to, you know, about the cleanliness, the equipment maintenance, the employee actions and training. Basically, as an employee, let's hit that real quick. If you do have an abnormal cooking event that is growing quickly out of control, is there a way for you to set the fire system off, Bill? Yes, you can. You can. Uh, there, every fire system out there has to be equipped with a manual pull station, and uh, it's going to be mounted in the in the path of egress on the on your way out of the restaurant. And um, well, naturally, if you're a cook, you should already be familiar with where it is. That should be some of your training that's already provided to you is where that pull station is and how to operate it. If not, the service company is supposed to do that with you when they come out and do the service on the fire system. But anyways, this fire, this pull station, it's going to be uh, mounted to the wall, somewhere between 48 and 60 inches, somewhere around in there. You just pull it out. It's going to have a little bit of slack to it, maybe anywhere from 3 or 4 to 10 inches of slack. And once you hit resistance, just give it a good tug, and it'll set the fire system off automatically right there. Yep, and that and that's something you need to understand is if people work in a kitchen, you guys know what a, what a, a normal event looks like, and we know what an abnormal event looks like. If you see this fire spreading, you see something you've never seen before. You see that something that you're going, this is dangerous. Set the fire system off manually. Okay, this will help a lot. We um we we see some employee actions where people uh, stand back and. Uh, Besides setting off the fire suppression system, they start videotaping with their cell, their ubiquitous cell phones. Um, you know that's that's probably not a uh, an appropriate action to take if you have a uh, fire developing in a commercial kitchen with possible patrons inside the restaurant and stuff like that. Remember, guys, just you know do 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 what you you, you should do to to ensure life safety and stuff like that. And certainly, if if you see something too dangerous evacuate and get everybody out of there but um you know we, we've seen a lot of instances where people start filming and and uh it's it's uh kind of mind-boggling why people are doing that I, I, in my opinion <laughs> and i'm going to ask you chip and bill both uh in the same regard as a fire investigator what is the one thing maybe one or two things the two of you can say that would be helpful when you're having as an expert in commercial kitchen fires to come in behind them that they could could or could not do that would be helpful to you? Really, they, they you know, the biggest thing that would help us is if this never happened in the first place. Right. <laughs> Keep the place clean. Yeah. <laughs> Keep the place clean. Keep the equipment under good maintenance. And, and, and certainly the employees need to have some training if there's an event going on. Because uh, as, as much as, you know, this is what we do for a living, we, we'd, we'd rather not see these losses and rather not see, uh, see the uh, damage and result in people losing their jobs and, property damage associated with this. I mean, that, that, that's, I'd really just rather not to see this happen at all, wouldn't you, Bill? <laughs> yeah, and how about rather, as, I, I, yeah. How about as fire suppression uh, crews, 
What are what are um, some of the things that you just just one thing that maybe you've seen that that should or should not happen? The restaurant owners they need to let us do our do what we're there to do. Uh, we're not there to. I don't know of any fire equipment company that's uh, out to take advantage of anybody or any restaurant owner. So um, you know, let us do our job. Let us do what needs to be done to the fire system. And um, you know, when we make recommendations that items need to be changed or the system needs to be altered or fixed or repaired, you know, uh, take that in consideration and be open-minded with it and understand that we're there, we're there to help you. And that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, and that's important. Um, as far as an investigation, uh, Donna, for investigators that come out and, and get there, mm-hmm. get, get the whole, get the whole picture of what happened here. Um, find out, you know, what kind of service work was going on. Find out, talk, you know, the hood cleaner, the, the fire suppression company. Find out the equipment maintenance records from the restaurant. What kind of equipment maintenance was going on? Um, you know, what kind of cleaning was going on? Get, get all the pieces to the puzzle, you know, to try to piece together why these losses happened. Um, right. You know, don't don't just take a picture of the fire suppression tag and well you know didn't get put out. There's a lot more to what goes on in these restaurants and and you know frankly you know that we we get we go to a lot of these losses and and not a lot every year but there's a significant fraction of them that the fire didn't even start in the kitchen and uh, it immediately gets honed in upon because there may be fire damage and the origin mm-hmm. of the fire isn't even in that area. Um, you know, look at this thing, spend some time, talk right. to the restaurant owners, do your background research, basically. And thank you for that. Say. We've only got a couple minutes left, and I wanted to uh, say to the fire investigators out there, there is a book written by Phil Ackland called A Guide for Commercial Kitchen Fires. I know both of you know this inside, Prevention and Investigation. Uh, you can contact me at speakingoffire.com. Just send me an email if you're interested in getting this book. It, it talks about why and how the appliance malfunction, you know, why did the suppression system fail, why did it spread, who's responsible. All the things that we've just barely touched upon today is, is covered in this book. And Chip, I really want to I thank you. I appreciate you co-hosting with me today. And uh, Bill, I sure appreciate you taking time out of the schedule. I hope you don't miss a test question as a result of being away from the seminar. <laughs> but uh, I'm sure he's a he's a certified fire uh, instructor, so I'm he probably made the test. And next week, uh, come back with us, and we'll discuss some further things about fire and speaking of fire. And I appreciate you both. Well, thank you, Donna. I appreciate it. And thanks for the opportunity to co-host today. Absolutely. Thanks and we'll have you me. back. I like you yeah. better than Mike. So <laughs> how about that? I said that internationally. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now I I'm going to get fired. I think your cell phone right now. <laughs> yeah, and I'm sure I'm going to get fired, but that's okay. <laughs> you guys have a great week, and thanks for joining us at Speaking of Fire.
Thank you for tuning into Speaking of Fire. Please join your hosts, Mike Schlattman and Donna Ingram, for another edition of our program next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Remember to be careful this week and every week.